0: I used to play Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with my friend Nick, and none of our other friends enjoyed it. We used to remember so many details that nobody could compete with us. Details about specific ships, weapons, planets, characters, and their background. Of course, now most of it is a distant memory, like a fragment from a long-forgotten dream. To to Bespin Ice Cream Stand. My name is Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, a new definition of pain and suffering, as you are slowly digested over 1,000 years. Bennett Campbell Ferguson.
1: A new definition of pain and suffering, I hear that's what uh, film people and theater people call me when I give them a bad review. Or at least that's the rumor.
0: (laughs) Zing. I imagine you also slowly digest them over a thousand years.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, deadlines permitting, that is exactly <laughs> what I do.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we made it to Return of the Jedi. Uh, I can't believe it happened already. It feels like we just started.
1: Feels like just yesterday that we were mired in the the Phantom Menace, and yet here we are at this, you know, beautiful, emotional, exciting conclusion <laughs> to the to the good part of the trilogy or of the saga. <laughs>
0: I think the thing that struck me with with Jedi especially is people always kind of knock Force Awakens for stealing from a new hope, but I felt like the next two movies, you know, episode eight and nine, took a lot from Jedi, and I hadn't really thought about that before. And now I'm like, oh, man. Entire new trilogy is just taking the emotional beats of the original trilogy, you know? It's
1: so, so true. I mean, someone once wrote... The the Force awakens, the the first act is like A New Hope, the second act is like The Empire Strikes Back, and the third act is like Return of the Jedi, and I think that's really true, but that's not the only instance of that kind of thing. I mean, the the whole throne room scene in The Last Jedi is basically a ripoff of the throne room scene in Return of the Jedi, except they throw in a little twist there (laughs) at the end that, that makes it a bit more original, but it's still, it's it's still old ground that was tread over much more powerfully by George Lucas and Richard Marquand in 1983. Oh, definitely,
0: definitely. Not not only the throne room, but also like the Death Star 2 attack and sort of the like, we, we, all, we all know we're going to die, but we still got to fight for something kind of thing. And it just, I think it was a little more heavy handed, you know, in, in the sequels.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny, we, we take a lot of things, I think, for granted about the original trilogy and until i saw the rise of skywalker and just saw how lame and anticlimactic that final battle was i don't think i realized how masterfully crafted the battle of endor is you know cutting between these uh three different storylines where the stakes feel incredibly high in each i mean god you're you're terrified for the ewoks you're terrified for lando and wedge you're terrified for Luke, that's you know an extraordinary thing. I think to actually be on the ed- edge of your seat, to actually care about the outcome, uh, to feel like you know the characters you care about could lose. You know that I, I think is the great strength of uh, Return of the Jedi, which is that it has a happy ending that never for a minute feels like a foregone conclusion. And even when that happy ending arrives, it's tempered with. A lot of, you know, wistfulness, a lot of uh, poignance, which is something I want
0: to get into for sure. No, for sure. I mean, I I wouldn't mind working backwards and just talking about, like you said, the three different things they weave in the end. The Death Star battle, the indoor business, and the throne room. Um, And I think it's really, really smart the way they do it. It's very much something happens, and you're like, oh my god, what's gonna happen next? Cuts. And oh my god, what's gonna happen next? Cut. And it keeps going between the three really, really nicely. It's really well, uh really well paced.
1: Yeah, I think one thing I always really admired, I mean, the editors on this, there was three of them, there was Dwayne Dunham, there was Sean Barton, and then of course, Marsha Lucas, George Lucas's ex-wife. In fact, their relationship was falling apart at the time this film was being made, but she still showed up and did some really extraordinary editing on the film. And uh, in terms of the battle, I think one of my favorite moments is just as the tide is turning on the ground and Han and Leia and Chewie and the Ewoks are starting to win, that's when you cut back to the throne room and, you know, suddenly we're in the midst of the duel with Luke and Vader and he's basically given in to what the Emperor was goading him to do and and there's something i always thought kind of tragic about just as the battle is turning for the alliance uh luke is is being seduced and just these these kinds of juxtapositions and the way these things flow it's so artful and it's it's so clever really
0: yeah no definitely and i think having those highs and those lows is really cool even like 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 you said when there's success there's also failure or impending doom uh it's pretty awesome. Um I, I guess we should talk about our uh, reviews. Um out of four stars. Star Reviews. Someday we'll get a theme song, I'm sure.
1: Yes, yeah, Star Reviews. <laughs> I actually kind of thought a lot about this, or I should say I, I struggled with how many stars to give this movie. Because I'll be honest, you know, this is a, a flawed film and it's I think the least perfect film Of the original trilogy. So I found myself torn between the kind of, you know, colder side of myself and the more emotional side of myself. And, you know, the colder side was like, oh, there's a little too much creature stuff, a little too much stuff at Jabba's Palace, a little too much with the Ewoks. You know, some of that time should have been devoted to Han, Luke, and Leia. I had that going on so I was like in my head okay you have to <laughs> at least knock off half a star for that to prove you're a serious film critic <laughs> and then there was the other part of me that was saying wait a second this is a beautiful conclusion to the trilogy this is a movie that has you know moved me profoundly ever since I was a little kid still speaks to me you know incredibly powerfully today you know it informs a lot of What I just believe about humanity in general and, you know, redemption and being able to, you know, see the good in people, sometimes people who really don't seem to deserve it. All that stuff, I think, is just so powerful and so meaningful. And at the end, that's the side of myself I went with. I have to give it four stars. I think ultimately I would not be being honest with myself if I gave it anything less.
0: Wow. Wow. That gives me something to think about, because I had the same thought, which is, the Ewoks are in it, like you said, the Jabba's Palace scene goes on a little too long, there could be a lot more character moments, compared to the first, you know, or the, you know, compared to New Hope and Empire, there's far less character witty dialogue moments, I mean, it's obviously there, but just there aren't, there isn't enough screen time. Where there is an absolute peril, um, I'm gonna stick with three and a half uh, out of four, <laughs> strictly to punish it for, <laughs> for for the same reasons, uh, you know that that everybody is mad at it. Like like I'll say this, it's it's like a sentimental favorite of mine. Uh, it, it wraps it up so well. Um, the arc of it is so incredible. The you know the original trilogy and also just Return of the Jedi, but uh, yeah, it just isn't quite there. And I'll, I'll be the jerk film critic today and give it three and a half stars. And I'll say honestly, uh, like as much as the Ewoks bother me for being cute or whatever, it was more. Um, I felt like when you first meet the Ewoks on Indoor, uh, you don't cut away from Indoor for like a half hour and it really bogs the movie down, I think.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think with all of these like star ratings, it all comes down to just, you know, what metric you're measuring the the movie on, I think. I mean, because, I mean, I think we both see a lot of the, the same flaws. I think we would both probably focus on a lot of the same things and say those are areas that, you know, could have been fixed or or could have been improved. But it's interesting how the movie plays out because on the one hand, I would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, this is a messier film than A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. On the other hand, I would say that some of the scenes in this movie you know, particularly Yoda's death, uh, anything with Luke and Vader and the Emperor in the throne room, Vader's death. I have to say, like, the scenes in this movie that are great are honestly my favorite scenes in the whole trilogy. So it's, it's always that tricky thing of, like, you know, less perfection, but, you know, an emotional climax that, you know really takes everything to the next level because you know the empire strikes back of course is a masterpiece but the empire strikes back was was sort of opening the gateway to a, a more nuanced you know more you know, morally ambiguous world and i think return of the jedi is the movie that walks through that gateway where you know it's gone from you know oh the, the most evil man in the galaxy is my father to oh what if I can redeem him? That's just like a whole nother level of complication. And it's funny, like, despite all the messiness, which I I certainly think is a a problem, I think we, you know, both like to (laughs) see like less, you know, Jabba's Palace antics, you know, probably a little less, you know, Max Rebo band, you know, music video shenanigans, you know, and yet at the same time, you know, this is the movie that you know, kind of solidifies a lot of the things we love about, you know, Star Wars in terms of the ideas and the, the feelings that are on display.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, you touched on it, but yeah, I think it had the most uh, to live up to of any of the Star Wars movies at that point. Um, I mean, how do you follow up Empire Strikes Back? I mean, yeah, they, they definitely followed it up. They definitely killed it in the best possible way but uh i'm standing by I I'm <laughs> old man josh has spoken <laughs> <laughs> exactly now get off my lawn you damn kids
1: <laughs> yeah yeah get 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 off uh, get get off our lawn you you know gen z last jedi mandalorian fans you know
0: yeah, if you even like anything made in the nineties, done. <laughs> Stop listening. Only old people. If you like Babu Frick, you're done. You're out. You're cancelled. Yeah, if you know what that even means. Yeah, how yeah. Dare you.
1: If you've even spoken the words Babu Frick more than ten times in your life, it's
0: it's over. <laughs> I feel like that's like five people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now writing it on Reddit, that's something else. Oh uh, yeah! Stupid thing that stuck out to me. Uh, I love slash hate um, all of the Jabba's palace and skiff music. That sort of eighties <laughs> kind of loungy music. I really want to have like a party and only have that like playing those four or five songs over and over and over. Just see if anyone's like, uh, what is this?
1: You know, the really weird thing is, uh, a long time ago, it was close to when the original trilogy first came out on DVD. the Galaxy Far, Far Away? Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: I got the two-disc Return of the Jedi soundtrack, and it was so weird to like listen to the full soundtrack and hear all this strange background music that I had never, like, heard outside of the movie. Like, Jabba's Baroque Recital. That's an actual track title on the CD. You know, the, the music when the Ewoks are threatening to uh, cook uh, Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie alive. That is actually on there. Like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. do 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 Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. And some... some I think... Return of the Jedi actually is you know probably my favorite score of all the Star Wars films, but then at the same time there's so much music it's like yes you know oh, let easily. that stay in the background. Oh. I do not need to you know hear that on its
0: own. Oh for sure, and I think particularly and and you know the special edition makes it worse. But I, I think Jabba's palace, um, just thematically it, the music's kind of strange. It's it's sort of okay at times, but other times it's like. There's this dark, brooding movie waiting to happen, and this music kind of is playing, and it it sort of takes me out of the movie a little bit. I'll tell you what really takes me out of the movie is,
1: it, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get to this later, there are some actual special edition changes uh, that surprisingly I quite like in this movie, but there are some that I absolutely despise. And at the top of the list is the, the change to the Sarlacc, I really preferred it when it was just a yes. pit with some teeth. Like, why does it have to be this, you know, big burping tentacle worm thing that, you know, sounds like it just uh, drank a, you know, a liter of diet coke the minute it swallows Boba Fett. It's just, it just feels like wrong and overkill. Like that is a moment where you feel, oh, this is kind of the prequel vibe
0: kicking in. No, definitely. I, I I want it to be like this mysterious pit. And you're like, what's down there? Not, oh, it's just another space slug. Like in Empire Strikes Back.
1: Great. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the space slug in Empire Strikes Back was so much cooler and more frightening than just this, like, chompy
0: thing, like, coming out of the desert. Like, Yeah, no, I, I hate it. I mean, amongst other things. And also, you know, we, we can't gloss over... That song uh, in Java's Palace as well. that to me just halts the entire movie. like why, man? I I, I know everyone's talked about it to death, but uh, it just totally grinds the movie to a halt.
1: That, that's one of those things where it's like, I know it's terrible. And yet, I kind of love it because it's terrible. Because it's just, it's it's ridiculous to the point of being like weirdly delightful. Like I admit, I get a little chuckle when you get, well, wah, da, 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 da. <laughs> it kind of you know gets to me on like. Have you seen Star Trek V? Um, no. It, it gets to me on that you know Star Trek V level of like. I know I should hate it that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are singing "Row, row, row your boat." But I'm also totally delighted.
0: <laughs> no, it's like having like a drunk relative and you're just like, here he goes again. Like, how yeah. can I be mad at you? Yeah. Okay. A uh, happy-go-lucky drunk relative that sings silly songs. Yes.
1: Yeah. That, that's a good <laughs> analogy.
0: Yeah. What else? In Java's Palace, um, I think the Rancor Keeper is too good of an actor because that shit is sad. Oh, I, I <laughs> love that moment. That's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when he comes out there, and just like looks so devastated. Uh, that that's crazy. How, how dare they make a moment out of that?
1: <laughs> I know it's really kind of amazing because you, you you think about it. That moment did not need to be in there. It doesn't you know serve the plot really, but it needed to be in there thematically because it's really key to what the the whole movie is about. Because if Return of the Jedi is about the redemption of Darth Vader, if, you know, Return of the Jedi is the return of Anakin Skywalker, then there can't, you know, just be you know moral ambiguity in terms of that. You have to thread it through the film. You have to, you know, show it in, in the background in other ways. And it was so clever to do that in the heart of Jabba's palace, where we see it not as this hive of monsters. There's actually someone there who's capable of compassion and feeling for another creature and that and also the details of the scene like there's that one guy who's comforting the rancor keeper too and and this weird intimacy and you almost see luke as the villain in that moment which is quite an experience
0: yeah no it's a good point i never really thought about the parallel to that you know this this overlord character in jabba um and his minion getting destroyed um and yet there is somehow hopeful, good people to some degree. Maybe I'm reading way too much into that, but um, yeah, just like when, when he's like, him and his homie are walking away and they're both kind of crying, you're like, wow. <laughs> Luke is sort of the villain. You're right.
1: Yeah, and the great thing is, you know, this would never have happened back in A New Hope because Luke was not at the point in his life where I think he would have you know taken note of something like that. You know, he had a very you know simplistic new view of the universe as you do at that age. And as Luke grows more aware, as he grows more aware of the complexities around him, you know, the films mirror that awareness. And, and this is a great instance, I think, of the, the movies actually growing up with the audience. Which might sound ironic to say, since this film you know makes such a big play to the kids with the Ewoks. But you have this kind of simultaneous thing of trying to appeal to a lower demographic in some scenes and then in other scenes you know reaching through you know um, from much much older demographic i I mean my god you know the emperor will show you the true nature of the force he is your master now that woman ain't for 12 year olds you know i mean that's some really (laughs) twisted shit right there
0: No, no doubt. I mean, it's sort of like, I, I, I think I've talked about this before, like the Wizard of Oz sort of vibe of like, you can't hide uh, scary moments from children. Uh, they need to experience that so that they can have yeah. nightmares when, when they're older.
1: That's actually a much better way to put it, I think, because because I think, you know, it, it's important that, you know, kids do see this stuff and do get to think about these kind of conundrums in these journeys, because you know, you and I both saw this as kids, and obviously it's you know, a lot of these ideas are still with us today, so I think that's really important.
0: Uh, weird question. Rewatching the original trilogy. Uh, first of all, you asking me my favorite characters in Star Wars. Luke, Pawn, Leia, Boba Fett, you know, Chewbacca, all, all, all the good characters that everyone else feels. Yoda. But My controversial question is, um, why do people like Boba Fett? (laughs)
1: Well, I I have an answer to this. And I want to give a a shout out to my friend Mo here because he is, in my opinion, the world's foremost leader of the anti-Boba Fett movement. You know, he can (laughs) rag on Boba Fett with more panache than anyone I know. And the thing that I have come away with that I have learned from arguing with him is that the only way to understand the passion for Boba Fett, and by the way, it's a passion I share, I admit to being a Boba Fett fan. The only way to understand it is that you have to get that it's not a rational thing. You know, it doesn't have to do with him him being a particularly deep or you know complex character you know it comes from you know thinking his costume was really cool as a kid and you know playing with a you know Boba Fett toy I mean my first Star Wars action figure was a Boba Fett action figure and and so it, it's more of that kind of nostalgic thing and yeah it has and then to a certain extent as well you know just how he's been built up in the expanded universe i mean you know one of my favorite star wars moments is in the dark empire comics you know boba fett's return that's when he says to han the sarlacc found me somewhat indigestible which is like why the hell did they not use that line in the mandalorian that's so badass you know (laughs) but but boba fett you know kind of has an appeal and a, a mythology and you know, a goofy attraction that just, you know, goes beyond, you know, his role as a really, really minor character in these movies. And that's why I actually kind of like getting to see him expanded upon in The Mandalorian and see that, oh, he's not just this, you know, Dick bounty hunter. he's actually, actually has a, a code of honor and, you know, helps in the rescue of Grogu because he feels like he owes Din Djarin something. But that's 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 my very long, you know, take on you know the 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 boba the boba phenomenon. Do do you have any uh, any insight into that into the whole madness, Josh?
0: Yeah, no, I've been thinking about it too because I still love Boba Fett absolutely. Uh, but I think yeah, what you touched on—it's about ownership. It's about I love this universe. What are the little things that I can expand or expound upon uh, to make this world? Um, more uh, a part of my everyday sort of existence whether it's an action figure or dressing up or something you see it a lot in Star Wars Star Trek you see it in Harry Potter a ton or people cosplay as minor characters that have barely a passing mention so um yeah I think you're right it's he has a badass costume and when he does stuff it's badass <laughs> even though it's very little that he does yeah
1: and I don't even mind that he goes down like a punk and, and Jedi. I love it <laughs> in the moment. Boba Fett, where you know, and just like ah, it's a funny you know way. And of course, you know, as we now know, has been a, it's canon in the EU for years. Now it's canon in the official saga. You know, Boba didn't die, so he's not quite as much of a punk as he looked like. He survived the Sarlacc; it just you know left him bald and scarred and whatnot. But I feel like just that's the fun of being a fan. You know, it's fun to kind of digest all these little details. And, and to be honest, I, I think my appetite for that is like lessened with Star Wars over the years since those movies have been, you know, a part of my life for so long now. But you know, I, I still, you know, do that. i you know I, I loved Tenet and I did that with Tenet. Like, you know, oh, you know, that scene with Rohan. <laughs> you know, like Rohan's <laughs> not like a major character. Uh, that anyone hardly is going to think about, but I have fun being like, oh, yeah, Rohan, I love that guy. He's the guy who, you know, pockets one of the gold bars for himself on the plane. That was awesome. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's it's fun. It's a good time obsessing over these things.
0: Yeah, no, no. And it it makes it sort of more personal, too, I think, uh, to, to notice things and to... To explain them, and I think the dark side of that pun intended fully is that um, then you become a mansplainer, and then when you watch it with your girlfriend, you say, "Oh hey, that's Bid Fortuna. Oh man, guess where he lives?" And you know, <laughs> you, you just just over explain everything. I mean, for me, and I know you're the same way. Um, I almost felt like Star Wars when I was younger was more about reading. About Star Wars or experiencing Star Wars secondhand, it wasn't so much about watching the movies, but reading about you know all the ships and being able to you know quote all the the stats and and you know all the characters, lightsabers and their birthdays. Like I don't remember that. Um, and and I think lately, you know, in the past decade or so, I've gotten so out of Star Wars. That, uh watching the movies uh, watching the movies again I sort of forgot so much of what happened in a way a lot of the small little details and stuff that um it does feel like watching them new somewhat obviously the big beats I'm not gonna forget but there are just little moments where you're like oh yeah man Star Wars is awesome yeah
1: it, it, it's so so true I mean as you say Josh I mean my experience was exactly what you were talking about I mean talk about Boba Fett the guy who uh introduced me to Star Wars my my friend Jack in grade school who I actually went to preschool with as well you know one of my iconic Star Wars experiences was making my own Boba Fett costume at his house because he was having a Star Wars birthday party later that day and to be honest you know at the time stuff like that meant more to me than the actual movies I think I had the sort of maybe perverse experience although I think a lot of people have this of you know really discovering Star Wars as movies you know later and later and you know suddenly I was thinking less about the technical diagrams of the Millennium Falcon and and just what the hell that dish was for and thinking more about you know oh I'm really drawn to this moment where Luke is watching the twins sunset you know what does that mean in the movie what does it mean to me you know why does it have this you know impact on movie where it makes me feel melancholy and hopeful at the same time and it's been really kind of a joy and I think this is what you're getting into to I guess re get to know the movies in that way you know find that they have all these these gifts to give and as a result, I think I'm perhaps, you know, less obsessed with Star Wars now and am enjoying it more, strangely enough.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's like <sighs> I actually I can't even think. I was gonna say it's like a relationship that's bad. Then you go back. No, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, very well said though. It it does have gifts that keep returning, and obviously we love, and then we're making a Star Wars podcast, but I, I think it's a weird, um, weird thing where it's not just mired in nostalgia, but there's something new that can be gleaned from the star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, Like when you were talking earlier about return of the Jedi, having incredible moments and some bad moments, I sort of was thinking about even episode one, that was sort of our more negative version um, or more negative view of, of the movie, which is there's some really great scenes and some really terrible scenes. And obviously, I'm not trying to compare the two movies, but um, I don't know what the point is I'm trying to make. I guess that despite the flaws, Star Wars uh, still offers something new on each, each rewatch.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I, I do want to run with a little bit the difference between The Phantom Menace and and Return of the Jedi, because I think a lot of it comes down to performance. I think, as we both saw, you know, going back to the Phantom Menace, you know, big reason why that movie doesn't work is because Natalie Portman and Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor and a lot of the other actors were, were so disengaged, which. I'll you know, oh, take some of that back. Okay, just Ewan McGregor. <laughs> okay, you and McGregor I'll take back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not how it takes. It's, it's He's He's actually kind of cool. But <laughs> but, but Natalie Foreman and Liam Neeson, I, I stand by. And then you look at Return of the Jedi, where really everyone's in top form. You know, it's still these characters that you care about. My God, I think, you know, Harrison Ford you know, gives his best performance of the trilogy in this film, like there's something so tragic about like seeing Han so, you know, broken and pitiful and coming out of carbonite and having to, you know, readjust to, uh, you know, life and, you know, how in a weird way the galaxy has moved on without him. That moment when he says, you know, a Jedi Knight, you know, Luke's crazy, He can't even take care of him self and and then you know like chewy kind of petting him you know i'm all right pal like it's just so you know sad and and perfect and to to see his his vulnerability and then and then to see him kind of you know come full circle and become a different sort of character near the end and have gone from being a selfish smuggler to being the general who is you know leading the assault on the shield generator there is like so much you know great character stuff In this movie, I mean, I I really want to talk about the scene where Luke tells Leia that Vader is their father and then Han comes out and he has that moment with Leia where he says, you know, could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? And he's just being an absolute dick. And then, you know, he like, he turns around and he's thinking and he kind of goes back to her and says, I'm sorry. And that is just gold right there. And it, it just it makes you think about like, God, you know, how far we've, we've come, you know, the Han we knew in a new hope would never have done that. And we're on this journey. We've come to this point, you know, we've watched these, these young people, these kids grow up and it's really kind of an overwhelming thing to witness. I think.
0: But I mean, also the, the partner scene to that, uh, where Leah says Luke is my brother and, and Han kind of, pretends to understand what it means and then all of a sudden oh i oh i know what that means (laughs) like that scene is so good without saying anything he just totally crushes that scene i love it i love it um no the acting though is top notch i i especially think all the little side villains that have one line like you rebel scum that guy that guy is great he's so gleeful in his villainy uh and so many scenes like that where there's one or two lines
1: we didn't have imperial officer characters who carried out from carried over from new hope to empire it's just kind of fun to have these links between empire and jedi because it's been less time i mean empire was about three years maybe after a new hope it's been probably less than a year between Empire and and Jedi, so to have these little connections is fun, I think.
0: Though it seems like more time passes in a way. I feel like Luke looks a lot older, not just because he's wearing black and looks more solemn and his haircut's different, but he seems a lot older. It seems like a couple of years have passed.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, I think. I mean, you have to assume that in between Empire and Jedi, Luke has been... Kind of continuing his training without Yoda and, and and practicing a lot of those lessons on his own because clearly his mastery of the Force is way beyond what it was when he was fighting Vader at Empire. You know, otherwise, you know, how would he be able to just like kick his father <laughs> straight down the stairs in that really wonderful moment?
0: Oh man, great move! Absolutely. <laughs> when the all else fails, kick your father. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, that's a T-shirt.
1: <laughs> should we, should we get into some of that throne room action? Because I, I feel like in a lot of ways, that's really the heart of the movie and where like so much of the stuff we're talking about solidifies. You
0: yeah. Suppose? I mean, I think we should start with, with the emperor being introduced in general yes. and Vader saying, uh, you know, he is not as forgiving as I am. And you're like, <laughs> Vader, you're not forgiving you son of a bee <laughs>
1: That's such a great moment. Cause you've, Get the feeling like whoa if the empire is if the emperor is even less forgiving than darth vader he must be a real monster And it's just such a great setup to be like oh this is the moment we're gonna face you know the big bad you know the invincible one everything's been building to this
0: but i, I love when the emperor gets off the shuttle and they film it from the side and you can't quite see him and you're like who is this mysterious figure unless you've seen the special editions <laughs> but uh, watching the original version and seeing him, and you're like, and then they sort of reveal him, and you're like, oh my god, you know what is this thing I'm looking at with like all these forehead wrinkles? And it's awesome and awful.
1: Yeah, I think one of the amazing things is that we actually don't see a full close up of his face until Luke meets him, and there's there's something great about how that close up just jumps out at you, so so. Abruptly, and it's really shocking, you know, how deformed and twisted and sick he looks. And and I love how they just establish him as the worst kind of villain from the very beginning. Like, something that really strikes me is when uh, he and and Invader are walking in front of all the stormtroopers when he's just arrived on the second Death Star, and you know, only together can we turn him to the dark side. And that scene just ends with. You know, a big wide shot of the whole Imperial congregation and the Emperor just cackling and his laughter, you know, echoing off the walls of the second Death Star hangar. And you got to think that at least a couple of uh, the stormtroopers are standing there silently thinking, who are these fucking insane maniacs we're working for? Like, these are deranged guys. They're just one of them is cackling like a madman. Like, what the hell did we sign up for?
0: There's a lot of bad guys laughing in this one. This definitely gets the award for most bad guys laughing.
1: That's true, because Java as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ho ho hos <laughs> in the beginning.
1: <laughs> so I mean, so another thing I wanted to talk in talk about is I really love the whole duel between Luke and Vader, and him throwing his uh, lightsaber away. And in fact, my yearbook quote when I graduated from high school was, no, I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, your highness. I am a Jedi like my father before me. And <laughs> the reason I chose that quote is not just because it's awesome, but because that moment it means a lot to me because we see you know, Luke very successfully be seduced by the emperor. He gets him where he wants him. He gets him to you know pick up the saber and, duel his father, and and Luke comes, you know, right up to the point of uh, killing Vader. You know, that's how effective a manipulator, the Emperor, is. And the moment, you know, when he, you know, throws away his lightsaber, you know, even though, as Obi-Wan would say, this weapon is your life, (laughs) you know, the idea that he completely surrenders and and accepts that, you know, he can uh, be free of the dark side by facing his death and saying, you know, you can't break me, you can't get to me, I'm stronger than that, I'm stronger than my darkest impulses. You know, that's something, you know, so, so powerful and and so hopeful to me. And of course, you know, it would have all ended in the most gruesome way possible, even with that hopefulness, because the Emperor could have easily killed Luke if he just zapped him a couple more times. But then that's the final moment that breaks Anakin out of his Vader- slumber and the idea that we wait until that moment to really reveal any element of good in Vader that it it does the redemption doesn't happen easily I think that makes it a lot more powerful if they just given to us I mean to the point where it is a surprise when it actually happens and that makes it more emotional I think not less
0: agreed it's cool that we as the audience sort of uh, assume that Vader is in or is unredeemable I think that that makes the scene so much more powerful when it's like, this is the very last moment Vader could redeem himself ever, you know? Yes. I think, um, I think the throne room isn't just a test for Luke. It's also a test for Vader. Oh yeah. And it's like, if Luke dies and Vader kills him, it's just reaffirming that Vader is the the darkest Sith, you know, under the emperor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and of course you know that scene is deliberately echoed in *Revenge of the Sith* with the the Dooku Anakin duel in front of Palpatine, and having you know history repeat itself, and Anakin slash Vader now is in a similar situation, has to make a similar choice, has seen his son you know make the opposite choice he did back then. It's it's a second chance, and as you said, it's also a a last chance, and I know. The, it's interesting because some people really have a problem with that. You know, some people don't want Vader to be re- redeemed, and they really you know resist that idea. And, and in fact, I think an interesting behind-the-scenes anecdote is that you know Howard Kazanjian, the producer on the film, he was against it, but he was a, a Christian, and you know George Lucas appealed to him by pointing out how important forgiveness is. And Christianity, and and that was what turned Howard Kazanjian around and turned him to embracing Vader's redemption as a plot element. And, and the only thing I would add to that is that you know just because Vader saves Luke, you know, doesn't mean that undoes you know all of the death he's responsible for. All Iran is still destroyed. You know, countless of other people are still dead by his hand. I feel that that's not the point to say that one uh, act of heroism suddenly wipes vader's record clean it's more about saying that even in the you know darkest most evil heart you know there can be a good impulse and if that's possible you know who's to say anything's impossible it's a i think it's just a much you know more beautiful thing than it's it's given credit for because i think a lot of people you know want to look at it in terms of like that's like saying hitler's not so bad and it's not saying that at all it's a very complex thing and it isn't it isn't rosy in my opinion at least
0: yeah i mean everybody sort of wants the bad guy to get his comeuppance and they also especially you know in in the past few well i guess forever they they kind of want tragedy um But I think Vader is still a tragic figure just because Anakin is redeemed, like you said, doesn't mean that he's absolved of all his sins.
1: I think the fact that Anakin dies in a way, his death is sort of like punishment for all he's he's done. You know, he was never going to get to walk away in a spiritual sense with everything atoned for. He has to to pay a a price. And we, we we see that happen and I, and I think it's really beautifully done i think the scene of his death is it's so you know so great you know tell your sister you were right <laughs> you know it's-
0: <laughs> no it, it's it's really good i uh, watched well, the blu-ray and my girlfriend said that it seemed like Anakin was less scary, less gross-looking this time around, and I think it's because every time I've watched it on VHS, you can't quite see him as well. Mm. And when you get it so detailed, you're like, "Oh, I see now. He's just a guy who's kind of messed up in the head department." But <laughs> I think there's something missing when I when I uh, when you watch it on VHS, and you kind of have to imagine it. Or, or rather it looks a little more grotesque because you can't quite see what you're looking at.
1: Well, the, the other thing, too, is that they removed Sebastian Shaw's eyebrows uh, for later editions because they're like, he's a burn victim. Why would he have eyebrows? <laughs> what? You're blowing my mind right now, man. I mean, for me, my attitude is, you know what? Continuity be damned. I would kind of like the eyebrows back.
0: Release the eyebrow cuts. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we mobilize enough people, we can we can get it done. We can make it happen.
0: <laughs> definitely. I'm sure somebody out there has definitely uh, made some sort of specialized edition. Um, I, I do have the Harmony despecialized edition, and I regret not watching those um, for this round because I feel like I'm so focused on some of the special edition stuff. I'm trying to hold it back because all the special edition editions for Return of the Jedi were pretty bad uh, as far as like the big new scenes or you know replacing um, uh, Sebastian Shaw with Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and and also um, you know Vader being like, no, no, It's kind of silly.
1: For me, the one unforgivable thing is sticking Hayden Christensen in there because all due respect to that guy, it just harshes my buzz to have to see his face And <laughs> in the midst of this beautiful ending. It's like, even just seeing his face is annoying. Like, he kind of, like, has that same, you know, pouty look. like <laughs> Except now it looks like a conceited pouty look. Like, yeah, I'm in the original trilogy. Take that, haters, you know.
0: My girlfriend said, why is... Uh, why is Anakin hanging out with those old guy ghosts? <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's right, she's absolutely right. No,
0: she she's definitely right. I told her what George Lucas probably said, which is, you know, when Anakin Skywalker died, Darth Vader was born and Darth Vader died, so obviously it's Anakin Skywalker as a young kid, blah blah blah. But um I just I think it's silly. <laughs>
1: Jason Bourne swam away from his sins, Bruce Wayne basked in Italian sunlight, Peter Parker asked Mary Jane to dance. Film history is filled with transcendent trilogy endings, yet none have lived up to the last scene in Return of the Jedi. Friends and lovers, mentors and protégés, pasts and futures, everything collides in the movie's overwhelmingly poignant final moments. It's a rare instance where special edition tinkering elevated a scene. While revisiting Richard Marquand's masterpiece, George Lucas conjured up a montage of ebullient celebrations across the galaxy far, far away, a reminder that the fall of the Galactic Empire touches the lives of humans and aliens we have yet to meet. Of course, Star Wars is nothing if not intimate. It could only end with Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, Lando Calrissian, R2-D2, and C-3PO. And it does, uniting the story's beautifully mismatched heroes for an Ewok-hosted Bacchanal on a verdant moon light-years away from the tattooing space battle that started the saga. There are hugs all around, and there is Luke reuniting with his true family after burning what remains of his biological family. As flames licked the armor of the man who was Darth Vader, Luke looked like he doubted whether any of his sacrifices had truly mattered. But when he sees the spirits of Obi-Wan and Yoda smiling proudly, he knows that they did. The last shot of Return of the Jedi is Luke and his friends facing the camera, as if posing for a photo that will one day be poured over by generations who will wonder what it was like to be there in that moment, the moment when imperial tyranny ended and rebellious liberty began. But that doesn't matter now. What matters is victory celebration, the wondrous track John Williams wrote for the special edition version of the scene. It sounds jubilant, it sounds tender, it sounds kind. It is the sound of the love that binds the heroes of Star Wars together. They are them, but they are also us. And in fighting fully and living fully, they give us hope. Why bother battling the Tarkans, Vaders, Fets, and Emperors of the world? Because it's worth it. Because beyond them lies a forest moon blooming with joy that reminds you that the Force will be with you. Always.
0: Damn, I love that ending. That's good. We should use that for the, for the end of our podcast.
1: <gasps> Thanks. Well, I, I was I was thinking about it cuz I was like, oh no, I'm stepping on Josh's sign off, and then I was like, wait a second, you know, we we can do, you know, a couple force will be with you always is, you know. It's a it's, it's so good. It's like, oh, I just I had it's to go Never there, too you know? many
0: the force will be with you always is. <laughs> um, no, no. I um love the ending. I don't love the special edition ending and music because I'm an old grouch. <laughs> um, I think I think part of it is is the um, the stain of the prequel trilogy is, is sort of felt by me when you show Coruscant and you show Naboo and you hear a gungan, you know, shouting out. It sort of is a reminder, <laughs> like those are somehow connected worlds. And for me, uh, I, I can't see the prequel trilogy as being a part of the real, you know, original trilogy. I, I kind of view the original trilogy as its own thing, and the sequel and the prequel trilogy, yeah, they're related, but it's it's like the Harry Potter books and the movies in that. They can they can be their own thing and they can be related, but they're never uh, married to one another exactly. In uh, in other words, I I can't see the world of Episode One uh, being related to the world of Return of the Jedi. Um, it just makes it too too connected, and and it, that's why it doesn't work for me.
1: Well, I, I think that's really interesting, and I want to speak to all of that because they're they're I mean they're couple of things i at least personally feel differently about and there are a couple things that i i feel exactly the same as you about because and i i know this will you know frustrate some people listening and i i want to say like this is just my personal opinion and i respect everybody's right to their personal opinion mine is that star wars the empire strikes back return of the jedi is its you know own separate beautiful entity and to me the prequel trilogy is an unnecessary prologue and the sequel trilogy is an unnecessary epilogue and i'm 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 sorry but i'm never going to look at it as the nine film skywalker saga you know to me it's a three film saga with a bunch of crap tacked on you know <laughs> which is not to say that that crap tacked on doesn't contain some you know, elements that I I love. You know, I love Jango Fett. I love Darth Maul. I love Ray. I love Kylo Ren and, and, and Finn. You know, I love those elements, you know, just not the movies they showed up in. And I think as for the other stuff, I will say that I really do hate seeing Naboo in Return of the Jedi. Like, to me, that does piss me off. And to me, you know, George Lucas, including a Gungan saying, we saw free, like that's him just like straight up fucking to- trolling us.
0: Yeah, like, remember George Our Binks? Yeah. He's back. He's he's just, he's
1: having fun with us there. But I'll I'll tell you why yeah. I love the, the montage and why I do like seeing Coruscant and Tatooine and Cloud City. I think for me, it was important to remind us that the battle against the empire was was more about the more was about more than the victory or defeat of just the main characters of the film like that it has this you know galactic implications and they're not just achieving you know freedom for themselves they're you know f- achieving you know freedom for a whole universe of people and I, I think that's really you know important like taking it beyond the personal and and taking, you know, it to a grander scale, but then bring it back to the personal and ending with the characters we love. And and I think, you know, the issue of the music, I mean, you know, no lie, I love the Ewok song, I will yub nub it up all day long. <laughs> but I think as, as far as like having, you know, music that kind of, you know, conveys the, the sort of weight of the journey we've been on and, and the poignance of that and the kind of the, the pain of all the characters have been through, but but the hope of the future, the joy of, you know, what they've achieved and what they mean to each other. I just, you know, love that, you know, choral melody of like, ah, 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 like that's, it's just so like, you know, sweet and, and tender. And for me, like, I love both that and the Ewok song. But if I have to put one in there like i'm gonna go with the the special edition music because it makes me cry <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fair i mean speaking of crying i think i think that um uh when when uh vader's body is is being burnt that song gets me
1: oh my god damn yes time.
0: yes um it's probably too personal but yeah um i had a friend who um who died a few years ago, and, uh, they put him in his Jedi robes, and, and, uh, they burnt his Jedi robes, rather, um, and they played that song, and my friend took a video of it, and, like, went to his funeral and the whole time, I was like, this is pretty sad, and then when he played the video with that song, I just lost my shit, <laughs> there's something about that song that's so mournful, but so triumphant and just captures Star Wars entirely you know so uh you know that's holds a special place in my heart for sure
1: i think i love that you you bring up that that story and that you bring up that music i mean there's something about that melody that it you know feels you know so weighty and so tender and intimate and personal i mean maybe because it's almost the exact, if not the exact same version that we hear during the binary sunset, seen in A New Hope, that, that we're thinking about, you know, how we've watched this boy become a man. And, and we're also, you know, thinking about, you know, like our own journeys growing up and, you know, the the journeys of our friends. And it's just, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, the, the way that's almost too much to bear in a way, and yet it's it's so powerful and and beautiful. It's the the magic of the whole thing, right, right there in those kind of moments.
0: So, for the first time ever, and probably the last time ever, I actually prepared a voice for this episode. <laughs> um, but would you like to do yours first?
1: Be warned, mine is a. Uh really really stupid (laughs) and it's kind of weird and obscure but it's a a weird obscure thing that i'm sort of obsessed with and we can we
0: can talk about it when i'm done so it's i i hope you're not going to do what i'm about to do i'm excited
1: (laughs) i don't think so but we'll we'll see we'll see so here it is
0: that guy's wise I don't even know what that is.
1: <laughs> so, okay, this is admittedly, as I said, you know, this is a really strange thing to be fixated on. But when the Ewoks are, you know, first like worshiping 3PO and like thinking he's a, he's a god, you know, uh, 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 one of the Ewoks turns to one of his fellow Ewoks and he doesn't speak the Ewok language. I kid you not, he literally says, that guy's wise and i've always just thought that was so bizarre and funny that like one of the Ewok voice actors was like fuck it you know i'm not gonna speak ewok language i'm gonna say that guy's wise you know i just think that's so awesome and it's still on the the dvd like i don't know if it survived to the blu-ray or disney plus or anything like that but they Hope it did because it's just such a you know weird, beautiful, silly thing that, <laughs> that I have been laughing about for uh, for for probably too long.
0: That's new to me. I'll check that out immediately. All right mine comes with a little backstory uh, okay so the scene the scene let me paint the picture for you is um, when uh, R2 and C3PO go down to like the droid processing you know area in Jabba's palace and, uh, they walk in and there's the, um, box shaped droid with its feet sticking out. Oh I yeah. Forget what its name is. Um, and so, uh, it's what the, the box droid, um, shouts out. Um, and, and I will say, uh, the friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago, we used to, we used to quote this a lot, but his version of it sounded like this, like, no, 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 <laughs> and I always thought that was weird because, like, Return of the Jedi was his favorite movie, and I always thought it was really strange. Like, maybe he was quoting a different part of a different movie or something. But uh, uh, I'm gonna attempt to the the version that's uh, actually in the movie, and it goes something like this. <clears throat> now now No! no, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say I probably, when I was younger, quoted that at least ten thousand times, and uh, I'm definitely <laughs> a little rusty now.
1: I, I think you got it pretty good. Like you got that kind of high pitched, squeaky quality. Like that. That's that definitely what I think of when I think of that scene. Like that, that poor joint. Like that just looks so. I mean, that that is that's some scary stuff. Right there, but that, that, was, that was perfect. That's what that droid sounds like.
0: <laughs> Once again, uh, you are a great liar. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think that's it for us. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say. I think. I think one of the the things I admire about John Favreau is his uh, ability to gracefully pander to people like you and me. And I love that he back brought back that droid that gives R two and three PO their assignments in the Mandalorian, you know, the one that says, "You know, we have been without a protocol droid since our master had the last one disintegrated," <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: or, or had a model droid like that. You know, another great, very you know, minor character with a lot of personality. <laughs> Return of the Jedi is, is such an interesting case because. I definitely viewed it through rose-colored glasses, you know, pretty much the whole time I was growing up. I mean, to me, when I was, you know, 10, even, you know, 13, even, you know, getting on to 20, like, to me, the idea at that point that anything could be wrong with it was inconceivable to me. I mean, literally inconceivable. I could not imagine why anyone would see it as less than empire or less than a new hope. And now like with, you know, further reflection and, you know, having watched it a lot more, I, I totally see the, the, the flaws. I, I totally see the, the weak spots, the the messy spots, but I'm always like in that odd position of finding like, you know, it in a weird way. It's hard to wish it was different because if it were different, it, it wouldn't be, you know, this thing I grew up with. This thing that you know had this impact on me. If if the rough edges were gone, it would be something else and entirely. And it's 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 hard to it's hard to want that. And that's why I, I've, you know, come to you know perhaps you know the more nuanced place of not worshiping the movie unconditionally and 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 more. It's more like yeah, there are flaws and. You know, I I see those now and see that they're a problem, but also you know just being grateful for the movie, too, and its place in the trilogy at the same time.
0: Yeah, and, and loving it, warts and all. That's all we have for today. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I eighty five. Ben is on Twitter at T H O Bennett two Ns and two T's. You can also find us on uh, Ben's. Spider-Man podcast, Spidey Scenes. Well, we'll see you guys next time. And the Force will be with you. Always.